It's the start of a new week, and of course, you know what that means. It's another episode of Auto Catch Up. Uh, this week, we've got some pretty cool news, um, and also some outrageous news, but we'll get into that soon. Um, but we do have Australia's cheapest EV has just been announced. Um, pricing for the GR Yaris Rally E edition uh, that's coming later next year, and um, also... You know, some cool things such as BMW's new iX concept, which is a full EV from them, and uh, Ford's e-Transit. Now, if you've got any questions or want us to talk about anything uh, in particular on the show, you can always send us an email, shows at dailyautofix.com, um, or follow us on social media at Daily Autofix. Um, but let's get into it. Uh, starting off with motorsport news, we do have the 2021 Formula One calendar. Um, and so um, it's probably not going to be as as exciting uh, in terms of tracks next year, but it's certainly a full-on 23-race GP calendar. And um, it, so far, it will be kicking off in Australia on the 21st of March. Then we go and make our way through to Bahrain, to China. And then on the 25th of April, that race is to be confirmed. They're not listing which one that is. After that, we've got Spain, Monaco, Azerbaijan, uh, Canada, France, um, Austria, United Kingdom, um, Hungary, Belgium, Netherlands, Italy. Uh, That one's Monza. We did have three Italian GPs this year. Um, Russia, Singapore, Japan, USA, Mexico, Brazil, um, in Sao Paulo, Saudi Arabia, and then the usual uh, finishing in Abu Dhabi. Now, obviously, it's, uh, there was a little bit of doubt about whether Australia was going to be the first race or even if it would make the calendar at all. Um, but obviously, you know, it seems like we're, we're still on track for that. Um, but I'm sure it's pending a whole heap of other things changing between now and March. Uh, one which has caused a, quite a bit of... Um, controversy and a lot of negative response has been the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix in Jeddah and um, a lot of criticism around sort of the the conflict of the We Races One um, campaign for equality uh, from Formula One drivers and teams and the organization and some of the, you know, the, um, you know, the violations of, of human rights and everything um, by Saudi Arabia and, um, yeah, so there's quite a lot of backlash. There's a lot of, um, I think, uh, I haven't seen any press conferences so far um, asking drivers about what they feel, um, particularly Lewis Hamilton, who uh, tends to be very outspoken about these sorts of issues. And um, I think from reading chat online, there's a lot of questions around, um, you know, what what will drivers or teams say um, regarding Saudi Arabia and obviously addressing some of the concerns from from fans, um, I think it's a valid um, question and you know worthy criticism. And it does appear a little bit, um, you know, uh, you know, it does conflict with the we races one um, movement and. You know, that, and that's not saying that any of the other countries are, are exempt or have perfect records either. Um, but I think uh, recently, anyway, at least Saudi Arabia is a, a sore point for quite a lot of people, and um, I think it's worthwhile 
getting a, a decent response from from Formula One and also seeing what drivers say because you know they sometimes have a great ability to affect change um, because you know they're effectively the the stars of the show. Um, but let me know what you think. Uh, do you think Saudi Arabia should be on the on the on the calendar? Do you think it's worth keeping? Um, you know. Or, or, you know, do you feel it is a, a conflict of the We Race as One movement? Um, it, is a, it is an interesting one, and I'm sure it won't be the last we, we hear about it at all. Okay, so let's get on to the local news now. Um, and this is... When I saw this piece of news, I, I just completely um, was a bit shocked at... The, the thoughts behind it but essentially um australia, south australian government um proposed uh you know let's just say controversial at the very least um ev tax and um this tax uh potentially could have formed two parts one was uh, an additional fee on top of your rego as well as a mileage fee um that depends on obviously how far you drive each year and the reason why this tax, you know, all these taxes were being proposed to be brought in was essentially because electric vehicles don't use fuel. And if they're not using fuel, they're not paying the, the, the you know, the 42 and a half cent fuel excise that, you know, on every liter of fuel which they buy. And so, and that excise is used to, to help pay for road infrastructure and, you know, supposedly those related things. And I think it, particularly when you look at vehicle sales now when hybrids and EVs are growing now at a, at a particular rate and pretty much every manufacturer is introducing electric vehicle or, or complete electric vehicle replacements of their model lines, um, the government of South Australia is looking to go, well, where are these funds going to be coming from? And on the face of it, that is a fair question. Um, roads do need to be maintained. Roads need to, to get funding from somewhere. But this obviously, I don't think, is the right way to do it. Um, we need more than anything um, incentive to purchase electric vehicles um australia is one of the places where you don't really have any incentive at all you don't get exempt from luxury car tax you there's no real financial motivation outside of fuel savings but from taxes and everything like that when you purchase the vehicle um to to opt for one of those over an internal combustion vehicle and obviously you know there are the benefits of going to an electric vehicle um, in terms of environmental, even once you factor in the, the production and the carbon cost of producing an electric vehicle, which is higher than an internal combustion vehicle. But this isn't probably the right way to do it. There's got to be another way to do it. And um, within between the announcement of the proposal, um, and, and mind you, this is pretty much, this was the first place... Um, you know, first place in the world um, to apply such a tax, um, and they plan to raise about a million dollars from from these taxes. Um, but yeah, so that the driven IO have said, you know, they're anticipating that it probably translate to a combined fixed and distance fee of around four to five hundred dollars per vehicle, um, and 
yeah, which is kind of a, a really surprising thing coming from South Australian government, given you know they have been fairly progressive in addressing the the energy issues they've had there by going through an, a green energy transition. You know, they've got the Tesla uh, batteries, and you know, uh, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to make any sense at all um, that they go this approach. And um, it does seem that the Labor government is set to sort of obviously they've they've come out and said that they're going to to vote against this, and um, yeah, it's I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense, um, and particularly when EVs are, are kind of more expensive than their equivalent, um, as well as so they're also paying proportionately more GST, more stamp duty, luxury car tax, and um, and obviously the GST that happens on the electricity purchases um i don't know it just seems really really dumb short-sighted and um yeah i don't know doesn't i'm not sure let me know what you think um i'm not obviously the the only person um you know with a, with an opinion on this one and um and and i can see why there is a valid thought of you know this is revenue that they're not going to see as a government um, through the fuel excise, but there surely has to be an alternative um, which allows the the funding on the roads or even, um, you know, is there benefits outside of uh, the environment uh, when it comes to road maintenance or, or any of that type of stuff um, where EVs are beneficial to being on the road. Um, I haven't seen any research on that, but, you know, that is also a thing to factor in when they're, or I would think they should be factoring in when they're looking at if to bring in an equivalent tax to the fuel excise for electric vehicles is, is understanding, well, does an electric vehicle do more wear and tear on the roads, if yes or if no, and and sort of also go down that route. Um, but yeah, this is a really interesting one, and I think um, I hope this doesn't set a precedent for any other states. Um, but also, it might open the door for hydrogen vehicles as well, because um, you do have to pay essentially for a fuel, um, which is hydrogen, and, and that can be filled through an equivalent of a Bowser, kind of like just like a, an LPG vehicle. Um, so maybe there there's something in there and that could provide incentive, a cost advantage of going to a hydrogen vehicle because the, you know, the perceived tax on running one is lower. But we'll see. Hopefully it doesn't get through because I think it's just, um, I can see it's valid, but I or at least the idea is, but the way that they're going about it is not the it's not the right way at all. But okay, and uh, ironically, moving on to the next piece of news, which is um, Australia has a new cheapest electric car, and um, it comes in form of the the MG ZS EV, and um, it starts at forty nine ninety plus on roads. And um, it means that it basically is, you know, it, it takes over from the Leaf um, of being the the cheapest electric car. And um, yeah, it's it's. I, I think this is the right way to, to be breaking in. MG have been, um, you know, their, their sales growth has been exploding. And it's also great to see a vehicle like this come so quickly from them. It is expected to have a range of up to 263 kilometers um, and 
up to about 370 kilometers in stop-start traffic, which is an interesting point to make because this is what I've always said um, to people that don't fully understand electric vehicles is that the, the real advantage is stop-start traffic in a city traffic where you're constantly stopping and starting. Um, and it's kind of like the opposite to a a normal internal combustion vehicle. Idling and crawling is horrible for fuel economy in a typical vehicle, but an electric vehicle, that's where they really shine. And um, in terms of the zero to 100 time, 8.2 seconds, and that's that's coming from 105 kilowatt of power and um, 350 newton meters of torque. Now, looking at photos, it actually doesn't look too bad. The the wheels probably look a little bit too small, um, but in terms of all the fit and finish, it actually has pretty much everything um, that you could could need, um, as well as a panoramic stargazer sunroof that covers 90% of the roof, um, which also makes it one of the largest in the segment. Um, but it should make the, the vehicle quite quiet to drive, um, you know, charging. It's not the largest range, but I think it's um, certainly a pretty compelling offer for, for people who might not drive every day or and, and want that occasional vehicle or just simply do a lot of inner city driving. Um, so, yeah, so this is really exciting. And uh, I can't see anywhere that it mentions um, its launch date, but I assume given that they've had the local launch uh, down south that it won't be too far away at all. It will come with the same five-year vehicle and eight-year battery warranty in Australia and New Zealand. And um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be looking forward to it, uh, making, making its way to showrooms. Okay, so this hasn't been marked as 100% official yet, but um, apparently the the driveway pricing for the the GR Yaris Rally E um, has gone through to dealers, uh, and it will be fifty three nine hundred drive away, um, which is a pretty lofty premium over the standard GR Yaris. Um, but you do pick up a few extra features. Um, basically, this is you know it will be limited to two hundred fifty cars at the beginning. And it is, you know, a track-focused version of the car. So it is circuit-tuned suspension, front and rear torsion limited slip diffs, 18-inch BBS forged alloy wheels with Michelin Sport Pilot Sport 4S tires. And, um, yeah, so it should be a pretty good weapon. Um, but overseas reviews are coming in a little bit mixed, which is interesting. And um, I know that a few people locally have uh, driven it as cars have reached into dealers. I haven't gone out and driven one yet. I am... Um, hoping to, to lock one in through Toyota and not having to bike a dealer because it's not the most fun when you're actually there to buy a car. Um, but people who have driven them are saying that they have a, a pretty good pretty good experience um, and have really enjoyed it and they're really solid. Um, you know, they're, they're set on their pre-order. So, um, and I think that's what really matters at the end of the day. If you're buying one and you enjoy it, that's great. Um, but... Yeah, so that take that price as Toyota are saying purely speculative, but it kind of seems a little bit more than that. Um, it seems a little bit more official, and um, yeah, I think you'd be hard pressed to try and justify more than that for a car like this. Yes, it's popular, but you are also firmly in the middle of you know um, 
you've got the 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 i30n the golf yeah it's it's kind of um you know tough pill to swallow if it's uh any more expensive than that um but yeah so stay tuned for that uh but nissan um the next gen x-trail is going to be having um an e-power so a hybrid um debut late next year um marked as a 2022 model year um as well as with the Qashqai and other models um to follow with hybrid versions so um this is great particularly as it falls in line with the rest of the nissan um, organization and we will be getting a little bit more uh, european models so this is i think kind of a little bit long overdue uh but also perfect timing and allows Nissan to really see that, yes, hybrids um, and electric vehicles are picking up steam in the lower down markets. And, and the Toyota hybrid, uh, RAV4 hybrid, sorry, is a great example of that. Um, it has dominated the sales charts. It has dominated um, sales of the RAV4 itself. I think it's around 80% now of vehicles being bought of the RAV4 are the hybrid models. Um and yeah, I think it's about time uh, Toyota got a little bit of competition in, uh, you know, where the CHR, the, um, the, <laughs> the name just escaped me, the RAV4, um, as well as even, you know, perhaps um, there is talk of something like the Navara coming out with a, with a hybrid model as well, which would actually beat Toyota to the punch of delivering a hybrid in their most popular vehicle uh so that um that will be exciting and i can't wait to see a little bit more of that um come in but it will be about a year until we start to see any more information about that come as if, you, if you're a listener of the show you probably you already know that you're um that we're fans of the kia carnival here and um you know there's really not a lot of competition for the kia carnival anymore um with the the Tarago really kind of retiring and um you know so in that space there isn't that much to to compete with it but luckily um mg are actually thinking about introducing when the time is right a challenger um to to it and there's a bit of a a bit of a render and i think it looks kind of nice um and uh the strategy for this comes from behind where MG really going for where rivals are underperforming. And I think that's really clever. I think that's a, a clever strategy to um, maybe it's not going to be chasing the biggest sales numbers, but if they can come out with a compelling enough design, compelling enough features, um, you know, it is a great way to to build sales, gain sales, and even probably draw more attention to the segments that are underperforming. Um, you know, and people movers are definitely uh you know an option for that they are coming up with a pretty stiff competition with that um you know the with the carnival as the carnival's had quite a um quite a refresh and we're looking forward to seeing that but yeah um that would be something to to keep an eye out for and i don't think it'll be coming anytime soon but uh, we will definitely have uh have something to that coming well keep an eye out for that anyway um but we'll probably see i i envision we'll probably see something come for the ute market just because it's too lucrative for them to ignore first um but yeah what do you think 
MG people mover? Do you think that we'll see, you know, get people away from the SUVs into there? Who knows? Uh, okay, one last bit of uh, pretty positive uh, local news. So there was some articles that came out earlier this week saying that the uh, BRZ from Subaru will be America only. Um, but uh, good thing is that uh, the um, Subaru Australia has confirmed, or well, basically said, um, you know, local 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 reps telling Cars Guide uh, that we will get the next generation BRZ. And I think if anybody is excited for that, it's probably people who love that um, the sports car market. I'm certainly one, and um, I think uh, Subaru have certainly shown that um, even with the competing Toyota 86, they're able to carve out their own little market um, by offering a slightly differentiated product, even though a lot of the things under the cover were pretty much the same. It's just the surface, uh, you know, the interior um, and some very minor styling bits and pieces on the outside um, that they're able to sort of carve out their own little niche. Um, we'll be expecting it in the third quarter of 2021, um, but we don't know any further information about the, the powertrain or anything like that. Um, it's kind of rumor mill at the moment. It's a 2.4 liter boxer four-cylinder petrol engine, um, but we don't know if it'll be naturally aspirated or turbocharged, um, but hopefully it will be packing a little bit more horsepower then uh, than last year's car um figures are expecting around 162 ish kilowatts and 240 newton meters of torque um where the current two liter uh boxer engine is at 152 kilowatts and 212 newton meters so that would be a very much welcome little power bump um but i think uh i I think a few people would prefer to see a turbocharger in there just for that little bit of extra torque um definitely to to help with uh acceleration um, no new NCAP ratings this week. Uh, there hasn't really been too much activity in that area. Um, but we do have uh, BMW showing off a new concept vehicle this week. And, um, well, actually, sorry. It's not a concept. It will be a production vehicle. And it is the BMW iX. Um, basically, it's a it's a purebred electric vehicle um, that isn't just sort of an adapted vehicle for the electric Mini or the electric iX3. Um, but yeah, it is a, a, a full-on electric vehicle, a new thing. Um, it is all about sustainability. So it uses recycled aluminium, uh, recycled batteries, uh, minerals uh, that are fully audited, that are used in that um, and they're trying to use no rare earth metals. So in terms of pricing and power, uh, it will cost about the same as an X5, um, which is saying from which that came from the project head, Johan Kissler. Um, and obviously there's a, the door is open for a number of different variants that are possible. Um, so it is an all wheel drive at the moment with two, mod- two motors for four-wheel drive and 100 kilowatt hours of energy storage. Uh, but obviously, they would be able to do real-wheel drive versions um, or anything like that. But the battery um, is the exact same type. That, um, oh, sorry, the, the battery, electronics, and motor are going to be very similar to the iX3, which obviously allows for them to keep that price down as they look at scalability um, and getting economies of scale. 
Um, in terms of, yes, it's going to have self-driving. Uh, it is, they're claiming it to be uh, level three. It's going to have um, LiDAR, 5G connectivity. So that will be something which be interesting to see how it occurs over time once it does make its way down under because I assume that this will be something that um, BMW will be bringing down under and um, they're saying that this will be an influence on across all other BMWs. So this is a fairly um, monumental car for BMW um, but that is an interesting thing because we haven't seen a follow-up to the i3 or the i8 yet and those have both exited uh, production and the i3 is seven years old now and that's um inst- so whilst it still looks extremely sort of forward thinking um, when you see one on the road it still looks like a great car a little bit odd but still looks great the interior is very spacious but you know it is seven years old um but yeah so basically um the interface that is in here the interior isn't going to be unique to the ix it is going to be something that um you know continues on in other bmw models now from the front it doesn't look too pretty it does borrow that front nose from the m3 and the m4 and the 4 series but from the side oh man it looks great it looks super aggressive um it looks big it looks quite nicely sized um, and they're saying it is going to weigh a lot. It is going to weigh about two and a half tons, which is big you know, for a car like this. Um, the equivalent X5 M50D is about 2.4 tons. So it is about equivalent, but um, yeah, it's, uh, I, think it's, I think it looks great. I think in the interior, um, it does have uh, big floating digital displays. Um, center iDrive system looks very similar so it, it does look like an evolution of the typical um, BMW design the sunroof is an electrochromatic shade which is that one where you just hit a touch of a button and it changes to dark um, so there's no big sliding mechanisms or anything like that um, but yeah but it uses two layers of glass and forms like liquid crystal film um, which should be should be a cool party trick, um, but something that is nice that you can turn it on and off because particularly in Australia, heat sucks um, through the big glass roof. So hopefully that will help process that as well with the essentially being a, a double glazed piece of glass. Um, but yeah, so this is their their flagship of um, of innovation, and um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be exciting to see. Uh, when it eventually makes its way down under, you know, in uh, in a couple of years. But okay, so this is one that we we mentioned, Joel and I mentioned a, a few weeks ago. It's the Ford E Transit. Um, basically, yeah, it's an all electric transit van. Um, doesn't sound too exciting, but from uh, you know, from a delivery, uh, you know, from a business side of things, this is I think um, this is the the impressive part so this is a big deal it's going to be going on sale in um in 2022 and um basically this is you know this is the first full electric um commercial van from from ford uh there's going to be 25 different possible variants um maximum payloads are going to be different um across each one but it's going to be similar to their internal combustion uh version so the standard e-transit can travel you know can carry about 1600 kilos um up to this cab chassis upping up to about 2000 uh kilos um the the cargo space um remains a 
roughly equivalent um, and that's basically they can do that because the battery sits underneath uh, the body so that's pretty good um, the battery isn't huge um, it is 67 kilowatt hours um, which gives us let me just do a quick conversion uh, a range of about 350 kilometers on a combined cycle so that is a lot of a mixture of highway and um, you know uh, stop start as well um, but Ford has said that their research um, when looking at Europe in particular that's about three times the distance the average European fleet driver covers on a daily basis um, and there'll be an eight year uh battery warranty as well so from a business side that makes a, a lot of sense uh, the electric motor is 265 brake horsepower um eight percent eight to ten percent improvement um when you have an eco mode engaged so obviously boosts your range but drops off your your acceleration and your top speed a little bit and there's also ac and dc fast charging so you can charge up to 115 kilowatts um which here in Australia, there's a growing number of fast chargers, and that will get you from 15 to 80% in about half an hour. So once you think about that, that's basically the time a driver has a break. So if they're back at the depot, park the car, plug it in, even I, I envision that um, courier depots could also adapt where when they're loading the vehicle, the car's charging at the same time. It does have integrated nav um, with a 12-inch central touchscreen, and um, basically the rest of the interior is is what you'd expect of a, of a transit vehicle um driver assist systems are standard pre-collision assist lane change warning adaptive cruise control 360 degree camera um but yeah i think you know this is this is pretty monumental this is pretty big for um for for brands um and businesses this is this is where the the real advantages of going to electric vehicles will be seen um you know the environmental impact as well uh what they're saying is that ford um expected to have about a 40 percent saving in service costs uh, versus diesel models and um i think that's seen in even prius models that have been used for taxis where taxi drivers and operators were seeing that their brake pads were needing a lot less changing um servicing is a lot way more straightforward with it and um, the cost of electricity is obviously a lot lower than um, your fuel costs now obviously with South Australia talking about bringing you know proposing the EV tax this adds in a whole heap of implications for businesses and obviously that value proposition could potentially change if um, if, if something like that is brought in because that is an extra cost that a a typical internal combustion vehicle will have to face but either way this is an extremely positive step and i think this is makes perfect sense um for for an electric vehicle and um you know exterior design doesn't look too different uh the interior design basically it's that big center screen that really looks uh totally different and most best of all from a practicality standpoint uh the interior doesn't look you know, the, the rear cabin area doesn't look to be impacted at all, um, which is a massive positive when it comes to maximum payloads. But boy, ah, so we've got the Turkey GP on this weekend. Um, I'm looking forward to the race. Now, as you'll be listening, obviously the race will be most likely run. And, um, you know, will, will Lewis Hamilton claim his seventh 
World Championship this weekend or will he be denied? That is a question I'm hoping to find out and uh, looking forward to, particularly with the lack of grip on the track. And um, hilariously, it seems like they've been track, you know, organizers have been using rental cars on the track to to try and build up some grip overnight. And um, yeah, it could either be a lot of carnage and uh, make things quite interesting or, um, you know, drivers will be quite, you know, I think I think though the drivers that go and take risks, um, you know, will be will be chasing that potential reward of um, finding the grip and um, absolutely obliterating anybody else that's uh, just trying to make it around and do a lap. But yeah, we'll we'll wrap it up here, and um, next week we'll have a, a full full panel on and uh, all of the discussions and wrap up and uh, we'll be able to see how this EV tax goes um, as well as talking about all of the other news that happens um, I'm Ash and uh, if you want to follow what we're doing at Daily Autofix or if you have any questions send it to shows at dailyautofix.com until then have a great week and uh, we'll see you back here